Welcome back. Um, if you're here with me on the for this third uh, time, I'm actually kind of impressed. I'm either impressed that you stuck with me this long or I'm assuming your parents are making you watch this. One of the two. So either congratulations to you or something. Anyways, <laughs> enough of that. Uh, yeah, glad, glad that we are here in the third night. Um, tonight we're going to be talking, so, so just to review, first night we talked about the importance of really examining your faith, of really looking at the evidence. Is God real? Is the Bible real? Is the Adventist church the true church? Looking at all of those things so that you're ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. The second time, or the second night, we talked about the pearl of great price. How God and Christ see each one of us as incredibly valuable and how we need to see our value in Christ. Tonight, we're going to be talking about a, a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more of my personal testimony, a little bit of my own story and experience. And then we're going to be going to John chapter 5 because I think John chapter 5 is actually one of the best examples that I can think of in all of Scripture of how the Christian life works. So let's pray real quick and then let's get into it. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you will bless us today. Lord, we want to serve you. We know you're real, but we don't want to be like those devils who just believe and tremble. We want to believe and serve. But Lord, it's hard sometimes. Sometimes we don't see our value or sometimes... They're emotional or social or other barriers between us and you and maybe even barriers of sin or bad habits. Lord, we want to give those up. We want to, to have your help to overcome them. So tonight as we just talk, tonight will be a little less formal, as we just kind of talk about some of these things that sometimes come in the way of of our relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you will be with us, that you will help us, that you will encourage us, and that you will strengthen us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just a little bit about me. Um, I know I said I wasn't going to talk too much about myself, but I, I do think it is relevant to share a little bit of my own story and testimony when I was about 13, 14, somewhere in there, I, uh, excuse me, I have something that's making noise here. Throw it on the floor. There we go. Um, <laughs> it was a spoon. I left it on the table and it was like rocking back and forth. Anyways, um, when I was 13 or 14 years old, I was, I was really, uh, I, I really wanted to know whether God was real, whether the Bible was real. So I did a lot of the study that we talked about on the first night. And after I had come to the conclusion that God was real, He was the creator of the universe, He was the author of the Bible, the Adventist church was His church, then I really wanted to have a personal relationship and experience with Christ. And so I started to study, and, and actually the first book I started studying along these lines, um, aside from the Bible, was the book Messages to Young People. And if any of you haven't read that book, or at least haven't read part of it, I challenge you to do so. That book made a big 
difference in my life. And and the second book was Steps to Christ, another another book that I definitely recommend. I know I could probably sit here and <laughs> go through my whole bookshelf and be like, I like this book, this book, this book, this book. But you know, we'll keep it we'll keep it short because I know you guys don't have infinite time and you got other things to do. But I read through messages to young people. I read through Steps to Christ. And I felt really convicted, convicted that there were some things in my life that I needed to give up. And so I started giving them up. In fact, I, I kind of got into this cycle of confessing everything that I knew and then digging back into my past history to think of other things that I needed to confess. Now, I'm not saying confession is wrong. 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and James tells us that we should confess our faults one to another. So I'm not saying there's no room for, for confession, but hear me out. I became very obsessed with confession of sins. In fact, I would, uh, and more so with confession of faults, <laughs> I would remember back through my life and I would literally remember, hmm, I stepped on so-and-so's toes, and I, I, I literally mean stepped on their toes. I don't mean like offended them. Like I literally accidentally stepped on their toe like three and a half years ago. And I think, oh man, the Holy Spirit's bringing this to my attention so that I can go confess it to whoever. And I would go and I would confess to whoever and I would say hey I'm sorry three and a half years ago I stepped on your toe and they'd be like what bro what are you talking about I'm like yes can you can you can you forgive me I want to be right with God I don't I don't want to be lost <laughs> as you can see I was probably a very interesting person to interact with at that point in my life somewhat still now hopefully slightly better but I got very obsessed with confessing things. And, and so the first thing that I want to talk about is when we come to God, Satan's going to do everything that he can to make it difficult and hard. I guess those are the same thing, but strenuous, still the same thing, whatever. He's going to do everything he can to make it hard and undesirable for us to surrender. He's going to make us think that there are things we need to do to be right with God that we don't need to do or to make us think that there are things that we don't need to do or things that we do need to do that we don't need to do. You get what I'm saying? Something Satan is going to do. So follow my life a little further. I, I went to high school. Um, I went to Washington Hills Academy. I don't know if you've ever heard of that place. Um, I think you may know a couple of people um, May or may not. Uh, Larisha Crabtree, she went to the college while I was going to the academy there. I don't know if you know her. Um, anyways, just trying to make a connection. But I went to watch the Hills Academy, and, and thankfully over time, God helped me to realize <laughs> that this obsession and focus on digging up old things from the past wasn't that healthy. In fact, he helped me to realize that confessing to other people had nothing to do with some sort of absolute obtaining forgiveness. It had to do with making wrongs right, which is a principle you find in, in the Sermon on the Mount. If your brother has ought against you and you come to worship, go and make that right. It's a principle you find in the Old Testament. If you steal from someone, you need to restore it to them. The biblical principle isn't that other people offer you absolution from sins. It's simply that 
if someone has something against you, in other words, if you've hurt another person and they're still feeling pain from that, you should go and make that right. And so I don't need to be digging up some random thing from the past that they don't remember and that they don't care anything about <laughs> and confessing it to them. But God helped me to realize that. And toward the end of my high school experience, actually kind of right in the middle, I should say, my sophomore and junior year, I kind of lost my grip and connection with God. I stopped having his regular of devotional time. And, and my junior year, I really came back to God. I, I surrendered myself to Him more fully and, and I really wanted to use my influence as a junior and then as a senior to reach the school. And I don't want to get into all of the details, but long story short, there were people at the school who felt that what I was doing in trying to influence the school as a senior was wrong. Now, I will admit there were some ways that I was being immature. Overall, I do believe that God was, was leading me, but there were some people who felt that and, they, and they, they, uh, they made it very clear to me that I wasn't to continue. In fact, they made it clear that God was not leading. Now, I don't think that they had any ill intentions or that they were trying to destroy my Christianity, but you know there's someone out there who is and who will use any opportunity that he has to destroy our faith in God and that, that, that individual is Satan. And so my senior year, after having been, you know, all in for God, wanting to serve Him and, and, and giving everything to try to serve Him and being told, oh, God isn't leading you. After that happened, I, I fell into some very deep depression because I basically told myself, well, I respect the people who are telling me that God isn't working through me. And therefore, if God isn't working through me and isn't using me, then what purpose do I have in life? So I, I became very depressed and very, very depressed to the point that I was uh, very suicidal. I tried to take my life several times. Thankfully, um, I never succeeded. Otherwise, I guess he'd be <laughs> having some other week of prayer speaker maybe who would be more engaging. I don't know. Um, but I'm thankful at least that, that I never succeeded. And by the time I left high school, I didn't really want to have anything to do with God because, see, in my mind, God didn't want me. He didn't need me. I'd messed up too much. I'd made too many mistakes. I was useless. And maybe some of you who are listening are going through something like this. I don't, I don't know. Maybe... I mean, who am I to say? Maybe you guys are all perfectly happy angels, but statistically speaking, assuming a few of you actually listen to this, there's probably someone who's listening who knows what I'm talking about. Either knows what I'm talking about from past experience or from present experience. Feeling like you've messed up too much. Feeling like God doesn't need you. Feeling like you're kind of valueless. I know we talked about that last night. But that's what I felt like. And thankfully, after I left high school, after I, I actually went to Southern for a year, during my time at Southern, God called, called to me and he said, you know, Nathan, I still love you. I still need you. And, and I can't get into all the details of how that happened because of this thing called time, which is, as we know, limited. But... God called me back to himself, and, and since then, I haven't been s serving perfectly, but I've, I've definitely been trying to serve God, and, and it's been a huge blessing. 
But there's a couple of principles that I want to bring out specifically from John chapter 5 and and from the commentary on John chapter 5 and Desire of Ages that I think can help us to deal with this, this reality that we face that sometimes it can feel like God doesn't care about us, that God doesn't need us, that God doesn't want us. It can, it can feel like living for God or living with a care or concern about what God thinks isn't such a good idea. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And we read about the story of a man who was paralyzed and by the pool of Bethesda. John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the, for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever, whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Imagine with me, imagine being sick for 38 years. I haven't, I haven't been alive 38 years. I assume many of you have not either. Imagine being sick and laying by a pool for 38 years, wanting to be healed. Verse 7, The impotent man answered him, because Jesus had just asked, Wilt thou be made whole? In verse 6, the impotent man answered him, saying, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth in before me. Imagine how discouraging that would be. You're at a place that you believe has divine help. You're actually in Jerusalem. You're near the temple of God. You're at a place where you believe there is supernatural aid to help with your trouble. And you've been trying for 38 years to get healed. You've been trying for 38 long years to find help. And you haven't. You know, sometimes it can feel like this in our own Christian lives. We can feel like, oh, there's something I want to overcome. Maybe it's discouragement. Maybe it's depression. Maybe you have an addiction to something. Maybe you're addicted to pornography. Maybe you're addicted to technology. Maybe you're addicted to something else. Maybe there's something in your life that you don't like, you know that shouldn't be there. And every time you think you're about to obtain victory over that thing, someone keeps you from obtaining the victory. Maybe you're struggling with depression and, and, and every time that you think you're about to overcome that depression and, and, and experience the joy and the peace that Christ wants to give you, there's that person in your life who comes in and says, you're worthless. You're not good enough. You need to mature. Maybe you struggle with pornography and every time you think you're about to gain victory over that addiction... Your cell phone's there and you just can't help but type that URL into your web browser and watch that video. Maybe some of you 
are in that place like the impotent man. You've been laying there. You want help. You want forgiveness and strength. You want to be healed. But every time, it seems like you end up flat on your back. Let's get back to the story. So the impotent man is telling Jesus his sad story and and Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. He's been laying there for 38 years. 38, 38 stinking long years. And Jesus says, Well, why don't, you, uh, why don't you just grab your bed, pick it up, and skedaddle. Verse 8, Immediately the man was made whole took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. Friend, if you are struggling with something, if there's, if there's something in your life that you need victory over, if there's something in your life that is keeping you down, and maybe you're waiting for all of the obstacles to be moved out of the way for you to overcome that. Maybe there's, there's something that's keeping you from coming to Christ. Maybe there's something that's keeping you from praying. Maybe there's something that's, that's keeping you from having the joy and peace that you want to have. Today, Christ is standing over you and saying, take up your bed and walk. I'm going to read a quote from Desire of Ages that fleshes this out and then we're going to talk about it practically because I know that sounds so ethereal, it sounds so cliche and, and we have very little time but I'm going to try to, to, to try to bring it a little bit more into practicality. Desire of Ages, page 203, it says, There are many who realize their helplessness and who long for that spiritual life which will bring them into harmony with God. They are vainly striving to obtain it. In despair they cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Let these desponding, struggling ones look up. The Savior is bending over the purchase of his blood, saying with inexpressible tenderness and pity, Wilt thou be made whole? He bids you to arise in health and peace. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Believe his word and it will be fulfilled. Put your will on the side of Christ, will to serve him, and in acting upon his word you will receive strength. Whatever may be the evil practice, the master passion, which through long indulgence binds both soul and body, Christ is able and longs to deliver. He will impart life to the soul that is dead in trespasses. He will set free the captive that is held by weakness, misfortune, and the chains of sin. What does this look like? What does it look like to take up your bed and walk? Let's think about this for a second. The individual who is laying here by the pool of Bethesda, this, this man, he didn't feel like he had the power to take up his bed. But when did the power come? When did the supernatural power come? The supernatural power came when he exercised the natural power that he already had. Let me say that again. The power to overcome came as he utilized the power that God had already given him. Let's make this really practical. Let's say you are struggling with pornography. I know I keep hitting on this. Just to give you some context is why I used to struggle with pornography. I understand how powerful and how addictive it can be. So that's why I'm using it as an example. I also happen to know that a good significant portion of Adventist young people, specifically Adventist young men, but both Adventist young men and women struggle with pornography. But let's say you're struggling with pornography. Before you can expect supernatural power 
to help you to overcome your addiction, you need to do that which is already in your power to overcome that addiction. And I can't tell you what that is. I don't know what your situation is, but maybe it means setting up an accountability system with a friend. Maybe it means turning off your phone before you go to bed. Maybe it means going on a run when you feel the urge. When we do what is in our power by faith, when we put our will on the side of Christ, then the supernatural power comes if it's needed. Which most of the time, <laughs> let me tell you it is. That's when the power comes. So many Christians are just sitting there waiting, waiting for a sense of power, a sense of, a sense of uh, God's presence before they, they take the first step. But faith says, I'll take the first step. Faith says, I'll do what I can and trust God with the rest. If you'll indulge me, I'd like to read over this quote one more time, or at least part of it. it. says, There are many who realize their helplessness. Maybe you realize your helplessness. You long for spiritual life. In despair, you're realizing that you are a wretched person. You're a sinner. You're in need of God's help. And God is telling you to look up. Christ is bending over the purchase of his blood, saying with inexpressible tenderness and pity, wilt thou be made whole? He bids you arise in health and peace. Do not miss this next part. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Don't wait to feel that you have the power before you begin the struggle against your addictions, against your discouragement. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole. Believe his word and it will be fulfilled. Put your will on the side of Christ's will to serve him and in acting upon his word, you will receive strength. Friends, we are out of time. I would love to talk to you more about this. There's so many more practical things and, and, and whatnot that I'd love to talk to you about tonight, but, but we're out of time. But what I challenge you to do tonight, maybe there's something in your life that you've been struggling with could be a little thing. Maybe you're just addicted to chocolate chip cookies. What do I know? Maybe there's something in your life that you're struggling with. You know God wants you to give it up so that you can have a more full, more vibrant life in Him. But you're scared. You've tried so many times. Let me just point out, by the way, even if you tried 10 times and failed each time, you're still better off for each one of those times you tried because you weren't addicted or you weren't... Uh, using this, whatever your addiction was during that time. Just a side note, but maybe you're discouraged and, and you feel like you don't want to try again. I want to challenge you tonight to try again. To come to Christ and say, Lord, I want to overcome this. I'm going to do my part. Please do your part. And even if I fall, I'll be like that righteous man that the Bible talks about who falls seven times and rises again. If that's your desire, I want you to spend some time this evening or whatever time it is that you're watching this, praying and saying, Lord, give me the victory. Help me to live for you. Help me to overcome whatever it is, whether it's discouragement, depression, and addiction, something else, whatever it is that's standing between me and you, so that you and I can have a vibrant, living, healthy relationship. If you want to know more about this on a practical level, if you want to hear more of my story, once again, my contact information hopefully will be included Oh, my phone died.